Welcome to Purdue Commercial Agcast, the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture's podcast featuring farm management news and information. I'm your host, Jim Minter, director of the Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture, and joining me today is Michael Langemeyer, professor of ag economics here at Purdue. We're going to review the results from the January Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer Survey of Farmers from Across the Nation. Each month, we survey 400 farmers across the U.S. to learn more about their perspectives on the ag economy. This month's Ag Barometer Survey was conducted from the 17th through the 21st of January. And Michael, the barometer dropped a little bit this month, dropped to a reading of 119, down from 125 last month. And, you know, I guess from my perspective, the big news is how much lower it is today than it was this time last year. This time last year, we were up in the ballpark of about 170. So we're about 50 points lower than we were a year ago. What's your take? Yeah, that's that's certainly the real news here. Uh, I wasn't expecting a a real big change this month. I mean, the the amount of uncertainty really hasn't hasn't changed uh, the last couple months. There's just a lot of uncertainty out there with regard to output prices and input costs and other things. So if there is a surprise, it was the fact that the decline in the barometer this month was really driven by one thing, and that was that decline in the index of current conditions. The index of current conditions actually dropped 13 points from 146 last month to 133. And to get at your point, Michael, I didn't expect to see that kind of a drop in that index. Um, I really didn't either. I mean, corn prices have been, in particular, have been relatively strong. And so I thought we'd lose a little bit in the index of future, uh, future expectations rather than the index of current conditions. So what seems to be taking place here is people are very upset and very concerned about the level of uncertainty. And I guess that's the part that's a little bit hard to get your arms around. But, uh, you know, you and I both had some opportunities to speak to some in-person groups in recent weeks. And when we talked to them, uh, it's pretty clear people are very concerned about what's going on with input cost. Uh, And even though commodity prices are relatively strong, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty about where they might be in the future and whether or not they're going to maintain high enough levels to cover this increase in input cost for an extended period of time. Yeah, and something we're going to talk about here in a little bit, input availability is even uncertain. Yeah, that's that's feeding into it as well. Um, Last month, the Farm Financial Performance Index actually went up seven months. When I say last month, I mean December. This month in January, it actually dropped pretty sharply. It went from a reading of 113 to 83. But truthfully, there's something behind the scenes that really explains that. When we transitioned from the December to the January survey, um, there was a change in the phrasing of the question that the the index is based on. So the index is focused on asking people about financial performance this year versus last year. The December survey was asking about 2021 versus 2020, and people gave us a pretty positive response there. This month, it was focused on 2022 versus 2021. And I think that explains why it dropped so sharply relative to last month. What's your take? I would have been surprised if it wouldn't have dropped because 2022, from a net return to land standpoint for crop producers in particular, is going to be substantially less profitable than 2021. And so that's, that wasn't real surprising to see, to see a drop. But it does indicate, I think gets cut back to our concern is about that index of current conditions. People are looking at that and saying, well, in the current year, uh, I'm expecting a downturn, right? I'm expecting much weaker performance in 2022 than what we saw in 2021, right? Yeah, that's definitely what it's it's telling us. Um, The Farm Capital Investment Index dropped four points. That's a really pretty small change. It's a reading of 45 versus 49 last month. And again, a little bit like the overall barometer, 
The big news is how much lower it is than it was this time last year. This time last year, that index was essentially uh, sitting at uh, either at or very near a record high. It was up around 90, maybe a little over 90. So we've seen a big drop despite the fact that we had such a good income year in 2021. And I think, you know, when you look at the long term, the big picture, normally you'd expect to see an investment index correlate pretty well with income levels. We didn't see that happen in, in 2021 and now here carrying over into early 22. What's your take? Yeah, another thing that's going on here, we built up working capital considerably uh, in 21 because the net returns were fairly strong. And typically, when you see that a buildup in working capital, they use some of that buildup uh, to invest in machinery. And, and obviously, they're not doing that. Supply chain issues and, and, other, and, and other worries, uh, I think, are, are, are contributing to a fairly low farm capital investment index. Yeah, and I think for the, what, the third month in a row now, we ask people about whether or not uh, tight machinery inventories uh, are having an impact. 43% of the people in this month's survey said their purchase plans for farm machinery are still being impacted by low farm machinery inventory levels. So I guess, I think what we're picking up here is the idea that people would like to make some investments, but in the current environment, farm machinery is, one, prices are very strong. Uh, secondly, with respect to new equipment, the inventories are very tight. And then if you look at the construction plans, the cost of building anything has skyrocketed. And so in effect, people are saying in a more normal environment, they probably would be making investments and, and look at things more favorably. But given what's taken place, this doesn't appear to be a great time to make investments. And everything we're talking about here is going to is going to have an impact for the next year, year one to two years. Because if you didn't buy uh, machinery in twenty one with a good income, you still have that working capital. We may be surprised at how strong uh, some of the investment might be late twenty two and even twenty three. Yeah, the big wild card there is when the supply disruptions yes. really start to, to shake out. Um, we've been asking a question now for a couple of months in a row about the difficulty people have been telling us about when we go out and do meetings uh, about purchasing inputs. And 28% of the corn and soybean producers in this month's survey said they've experienced some difficulty purchasing inputs for the 2022 crop. That's down a little bit in terms of the percentage from what we picked up last month, but it's still over one out of four. And then the follow-up question was, which crop inputs have you had difficulty purchasing from your suppliers? And again, for the second month of the row, it's a, it's virtually everything, right? <laughs> yeah, it, uh, fertilizer actually came down a little bit, and so you know, third, uh, you know, fertilizer was thirty-one percent uh, in December and twenty-five percent in January, and herbicide went up, uh, and, and so there must be more more uh, more problems uh, purchasing herbicide. But I guess my take, Michael, is that we've got supply chain issues across yes. the board. I think early on we thought it was focused most heavily on uh, machinery because uh, we were hearing so much about the chip shortage. Um, and then it kind of spilled over into the building supply issues. And it's pretty clear looking at this. There's problems across the board. And uh, there's it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. Uh, hopefully we get this resolved. But uh, uh, I think particularly on some of the inputs, people are going to be looking at second choices with respect to what they wind up uh, using. And, and obviously, one of the implications there is it's going to drive up input costs for every single one of those inputs. Because uh, if you have, you're have you having problem, problems buying it, uh, that your, your cost is going to be higher. Yeah. And uh, the other issue is going to be effectiveness on some of those products, right? Um, so nitrogen prices, based on the data from USDA for the Illinois Crop Production Report, have tripled over the last year. Um, particularly for anhydrous ammonia. 
And so this month, we asked people, uh, the corn producers in particular, people that intend to plant corn in 2022, what their plans are with respect to nitrogen usage. And the way we phrased the question was, compared to the nitrogen rate you applied to corn in 2021, what are your plans for 2022? And there's really two ways of looking at this. I guess uh, roughly 60%, 57% of them said that they were going to use the same rate this year that they used last year, despite the fact that rates or prices are so much higher. 37%, so almost 4 out of 10, said they plan to use a lower rate uh, for their nitrogen application uh, here in 2022. Uh, what do you think? I wasn't real sure what to expect with this question, and so it's, it's a really interesting result uh, that only 40% that are, are expecting to reduce the rate. Um, you know, from an economic standpoint, I thought perhaps it'd be a little higher than that, but, but again, I, I haven't seen this question asked elsewhere, and so I, I really didn't know what to expect. You know, I did a, a producer meeting earlier today, and I posed this question and put, actually showed the, talked about these results a little bit to, today. And so the producers in the room pointed out to me that it kind of depends a little bit on when you bought your nitrogen. And not everybody is buying nitrogen at current prices. So when we think about nitrogen prices increasing or tripling over the course of the last year, uh, if you did a prepay and perhaps bought it in early fall for a fall application, um, your prices for nitrogen were higher than they were a year earlier, but not triple. And so that, that was one consideration. Um, so that, that, it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out with respect to not only nitrogen usage, but the other issue is going to be what happens to acreage. And we didn't ask an acreage question because our survey really isn't structured in a way that, that we can effectively uh, use that to gauge what's going to take place with acreage. But uh, the other issue, and I've been talking about, is how many people are going to switch from corn to soybeans uh, in response to these input costs. And uh, you might comment on that a little bit. You've looked at that quite a bit with your, some of your budgets. Yeah, that's the million dollar, the billion dollar question. And uh, and and I still think there's going to be some continuous corn, particularly in the Western Corn Belt. I mean, corn prices are strong, not only now, but but also when you look at uh, corn prices uh, next fall. And so I, I still think there's going to be some continuous corn and, and we're still going to be above that 90 million acres of corn. I think Informa came out uh, this week and, and had uh, a forecast of um, about 91.5 million acres of corn. Um, the big surprise of that Informa forecast was they had a very small increase in their expected soybean acreage. But, you know, I, to me, this is going to be something we're going to debate between now and the time, you know, literally the day the planters roll, because it's going to depend a lot of what the prices do between now and then, I think. Well, and it's also wheat, wheat place. When you talk about North Dakota and South Dakota, I mean, they had an awful year last year uh, for a lot of those folks on, on corn and soybean yields. And so I, I think there'll be more spring wheat up there. Uh, and so I think that perhaps is one of the reasons why, uh, you know, corn acres down a little bit and soybean didn't move very much. Yeah, I think that's exactly what's going on. Um, I mean, spring wheat could take one to two million acres, uh, additional acres easily. And the other point, which I think your budgets always point out, Michael, is if you're going to see okay, second-year soybeans, it's probably going to take place here in the eastern Corn Belt. Uh, historically, the returns for soybeans have been better here in the eastern Corn Belt. And as you mentioned earlier, uh, second-year corn, probably more so in the western Corn Belt. Yeah, definitely. That would be the trend. So uh, we always ask questions about farmland values, and both the long-term and the short-term farmland value expectation indexes declined. And looking at the long-term index, this is the third month in a row that's come down. It peaked last fall at a reading of 161. That's the all-time high for that index since we've been asking this question going back to 2017. Uh, last month in December, it was at 152. Here in January, it was at 145. 
So we're down about 16 points from the peak. What's your take? I, I think the, the the large increase that we that we saw in the last six months, you know, particularly in the in the fall of last fall, I, I think is 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 really is really a, a stop stop. People have to stop and ask, can this continue? And so I think that's part of what's going on here. Is they see, yeah, we've had a large increase, and and that's certainly certainly there's factors to explain that large increase, but can that increase continue? Uh, and so I I really think when I talk to producers, that's what the, the question they're asking. Yeah, and I, and to put that in context. That index is still at strong enough levels that it indicates, and in general, people are still expecting to see a rise in family line values over the next uh, five years. But they're not as bullish, perhaps, as they were a few months ago. And uh, yeah, I agree with you. Given the magnitude of the increase that we've seen in recent months, especially over the last year, uh, maybe 15 months or so, um, you know, it's it's been. Uh, unsustainable, I think. And so I think that's given people some pause. We've been asking a follow-up question the last couple of months, and we changed the phrasing on the question a little bit. Actually, the responses on this one a little bit uh, for this month, so I don't have a direct comparison to last month. But we asked people that expect to see farmland values rise over the next five years. What's the main reason they expect to see values rise? And just so the listeners know, the categories we offered them were one, strong farm cash flows. Two, low interest rates. Three, non-farm investor demand. Four, inflation. And that was the new category that we included this month that we did not include last month. And then the other category for things that we just didn't identify. And for the second month in a row, people are telling us non-farm investor demand is really a big factor. This month, they came in at 45%. That's lower than last month. But we happened to pick up a lot of that with the inflation category. I think... Uh, this month, 32% uh, said inflation was the number one reason. If you put the inflation category and the non-farm investor category this month together, it's a little larger than what we got last month with non-farm investor. Last month, I think it was 61% for non-farm investor. So we're down on, on that one uh, this month compared to last month. But we allowed people to say inflation this time. So those two categories were the dominant factors, right? Uh, interesting. Yeah, and this one really surprises me. Uh, all, obviously, all four of these factors, cash flows, interest rates, non-farm investor demand, and, and inflation are important, and they're all all positive, pointing in a positive direction for land values right now. But I really thought that the, fun, the two fundamentals, uh, cash flows and interest rates, would be relatively, uh, uh, relatively higher percentages in this question in terms of number of respondents. Yeah, it was kind of interesting, although uh, we had an opportunity at our top farmer conference a few weeks ago to have... Uh, two of the larger auction uh, farm real estate auction companies in the country here uh, talk a little bit about this. And they both commented that at their auctions, they do get pretty strong non-farm investor uh, presence. And uh, um, so they were not nearly as surprised by this result as perhaps you and I were. Right? Yeah. And the non-farm invest, investor, I mean, I, I understand what, where they're coming from on that one, but I thought inflation coming in at 32% was a little surprising. But we have to remember, we haven't seen the inflation that we're seeing today in 40 years. Uh, and so that's certainly something that's different. Uh, and it, it's coming at exactly the same time that land values are booming. And so I can see why they, why they say that. Uh, it's it going to be very interesting to see how this shakes out. The other factor, of course, is uh, we're all expecting to see the Federal Reserve tighten uh, and to see some rate increases. The, the only, uh, I guess, point to debate on that is the magnitude of the increases that we see here going on. 
And of course, if you look at a long-term chart for interest rates, we've basically been in a downtrend for interest rates for 40 years, right? Going yeah, back to the, the lowest they've been since 1950s. So it's actually been a little longer than that. And and let's just let's just uh, talk about the magnitude uh, a little bit. You know, I, I, up to a one percent, I don't think is going to do much uh, in terms of, of land values. You start getting up, which I don't, they're not telling us that they're going to do that. But if inflation is still with us for 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 quite a while now, they may have to increase a little bit more than that. You start getting into two, three, four percent, that will have an impact. Not only on farmland values, but also home prices. Yeah, asset prices in general. Yes. So, uh, so some uncertainty with that one, but it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But uh, So we'll continue to monitor that going forward. Well, that kind of wraps up our discussion today. For more details about the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer, go to our website, purdue.edu slash agbarometer. The next Ag Economy Barometer will be released on Tuesday, March 1st. I encourage you to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. And so on behalf of Michael Langemeyer and the Purdue University Center for Commercial Agriculture, I'm Jim Minter. Thanks for listening.